Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 12, Cam D'Annunzio. Uh, I first met Cam when we were both writing music reviews for Punchline back in like 1998. Um, I've known him not well, but known him, I guess he's been an acquaintance of mine since then. I've been to see a couple of his bands, such as Denali and Lazy Kane. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot more about his music history since that's what we talk about in the interview, but he's a hell of a guy. Really enjoyed uh, going over there and talking to him. He's not in the band game anymore. He's doing making uh, soundtracks for commercials and applying his trade, supporting the fam, doing the big work, the noble work, family man. Um, so I feel like it's been a long time since we talked. Um, it's a big stretch between Thursday and Tuesday putting these things out uh, in the interim I've had some equipment failure broke my microphones uh, Cam broke one of them for me but you know they're not great to begin with so it's not surprising that they broke and I tried to borrow some other ones and it turns out these are dynamic mics and you condenser mics and so that's a whole other thing uh, I had Liz Skrobyshevsky Humes over here and she showed me another rig for recording podcasts that made me green with envy really nice and portable and small and you don't need all this stuff that I'm lugging around <clears throat> so we'll look into that so you guys are going to have to drop by the uh, donate page and kick me some ducats so I can buy some better shit um, yeah what else uh, yesterday I went to Kathleen Brady's yoga class over in Oregon Hill and I ran into my boy Ed over there I've been trying to get Ed on the show uh, he's got some really wild stories to tell um, about some just some being in the in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right wrong time or whatever um, over many times over the last few years and uh we got to talking about a mutual friend of ours that, uh, this is a little bit of a bummer, but, uh, kind of went crazy, um, a while ago and was, and was sort of out there and not hooking up with, um, consensual reality and not, and scaring a lot of people and not being somebody that people wanted around them. But, uh, Ed kept trying to find a way to be a friend to this guy, even, you know, being in the state that he was in and he was telling me about all of these things he tried and all of these things he was doing, including like keeping a chart of the guy's moods based on, you know, where it was in the moon, the month and, um, how the moon was affecting his moods. Maybe, I mean, just really going out of his way. And at one point he said that, uh, he would come home and find the guy in his house and, and he'd be angry and he'd want to tell him he was angry. You want to show him his anger and just realize that there was no way that he was, that the guy was going to be able to relate to this anger. It wasn't going to do any good. He wasn't going to receive it well. So he just had to open his heart up that much more. And that really resonated with me. Um, I don't know yet how to apply that, but it was, uh, it was something I've been looking for an answer uh, in dealing with a lot of frustrating personalities that I, I want to help and, and I want to get along with and people I want to 
figure out how to communicate with. And so much of that is usually me trying to just argue that much better a point, like convince them that much more, like in a lot of ways, just dominate them, like with my point of view. And that doesn't work. It has not been working uh, in these sensitive relationships. And there's not much more sensitive relationship than dealing with a person who's in a manic episode. And this thing that Ed said, it uh, really kind of was one of those moments, mind-blowing, door-opening, consciousness-expanding, perhaps. So I look forward to getting him on here and talking more about that. But uh, he's a hell of a guy. And it was great to you know go to this class and then to have lunch with him afterwards and, and just talk about all this kind of stuff. Um, again, it really... I lived in this town for a long time before I um, went to Minnesota for four years. And I had a relatively negative and frustrating experience here. And I always blamed that on this town and the culture of this town. And I find I don't think that much has changed in this town, and yet I'm having some really great experiences here, having awesome conversations with awesome people and going to great events. Um, you know, I mean, one of the great things about doing these interviews is is having an excuse to visit people that really, I don't know, I, I wouldn't normally just say, hey, can I come over to your house? You know, but coming over and saying I want to record them for a podcast that just makes more sense, makes it easier to open the door. And um, last week I went over to the Guar space, as I mentioned at the end of last week, and um, ended up hanging out there for a while because Dave was doing a couple of other things in between uh, doing the interview with me. He had a meeting. So I had some time to talk to one of the guys that was in there building some characters for the show and just kind of wandering around, looking around. And, and it kind of struck me that, you know, for the... 20, 30 years that Guar has been around, it's been a business, it's been an industry, a little bit of uh, Richmond manufacturing, you know, they've employed a lot of people as sound engineers and, and um, sculptors and all of these things that it takes to mount this big production. They're like a traveling theater troupe in, in addition to being a rock band and um, there's this sense that like, I mean, that one of the guys that was there working when I was when I dropped by, it just kind of moved back to town and they were able to give him a job, you know, doing something there. And, um, I had never really seen it that way before. And, and one of the things that came out in the interview with Dave is that anybody that's ever contributed to Guar over the years, uh, gets some kind of a check, you know, I don't know how often quarterly or monthly, I forget what the details were, but it's a pretty cool thing and there's stuff to be done here and anywhere else and it just takes people getting together and doing it and uh i've always found that really daunting and and it's probably this podcast is the first thing i've ever done by myself i've always looked to get on somebody else's train or hitch my wagon to somebody else's star or whatever and uh and it's you know, who knows what's going to happen with this thing, but just realizing that it's, it's doable, it can be done. It's just a matter of making the decision. It's pretty liberating. So there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, I'm getting a lot more out of this and I hope you guys are getting something out of it too. Those of you who listen and, um, without much more babbling on my part, let's get to Cam Denunzio. 
you are you still doing music at all? Like uh, that's, yeah, yeah. Um, so so now you looked so comfortable. Lean back in your chair. I'm yeah, we gotta get do the same. That's what the point of the boom mic. Um, yeah. Um, I uh, I write music for commercials now. Um, I was doing it for a music house called Black Iris here in Richmond for about five and a half years, and then I went freelance um, back in April. I'm jealous how much better your mic sounds than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I could, we can switch audience. if you want. You're welcome yeah, to. Have. No, I, just, I mean, I'm not going to get to keep that mic when I leave here. Thing. It's like I got to get better. It's uh, one of the perks of the job. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never be able to justify these things <laughs> for my own personal use, but since they're work expenses, then yeah, yeah. clearly you're a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have professional tools. I, I, I myself, am not, not. Well, you are. Professional. Professionally making music. So that's we true. Can, we can say that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely true. Um, th- that has been super cool. It is. I had no idea that this job existed when I was in school. So, um, I, it's. It wasn't even like I was aiming for it. It's just a thing that happens. Uh-huh. So that was really cool. I don't. I can't really see you very well. I'm, I'm going to move this so I can actually like. Make, yeah, make we need to be able to make eye contact. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. nice. It's some like people don't like that. Like some people look <laughs> yeah. stare off into space when they're talking into the mic with the headphones on. And yeah, I'm yeah, trying to look at them. And it's weird because there's all these extra contraptions around. But in order to have a conversational interview, you need to be able to have the conversation. That's right. right. <laughs> that's right. So. so yeah. um, I first encountered you uh, when you were writing for Punchline, mm-hmm. and um, I think at that time you were in Denali. Is that mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, Den- uh, either Denali or Lazy, like the end of Lazy Kane, which was the, the Lazy Kane. Yeah, That's Lazy right. Kane. Actually, that that was probably what I was the band I was in. Only and the only reason I remember that is because when we finally, after like however long six years of existence, had a record come out, we mm-hmm. we I don't know if we paid or I bartered for a full page ad in punchline uh, yeah, with Pete. Yeah. It was probably a barter somehow. Um, they did almost everything on barter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence um, punchline not being around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and and so that it had to have still been around. But that was the last year of our existence. So yeah. And then shortly thereafter, um I guess we broke up in January of two thousand and then Denali started in April of two thousand. So and are you a Richmond native? No, I grew up in Virginia Beach. You did um and then I, I came to school in 1992, and I've been here since then. What did you study at VCU? Did I, you go to VCU? I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I started out studying uh, classical composition. I wanted to. I, I mean, ironically enough, I wanted to write soundtracks for movies, like, like scores. And yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. That, yeah. Um, and so that's what I went to school for. But I, I hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, it was like being told to go and do the thing that you really enjoy doing. Yeah, um, it's not the same. Huh? Yeah, and so I switched over to English uh, because I knew I could do that, and I knew I didn't really care whether or not I enjoyed it or not. It that was wasn't going to get ruined for you. No, no, I know because I was already sort of impassive. I was sort of passively I had a passive relationship with English anyway, um, an apathetic relationship with English, I should say. Um, but yeah, it, and then it ended up coming around and helping out in the future. I, I know that my dad at the time felt like he was just subsidizing my band mm-hmm. activities mm-hmm. while I was in college. And he, I think he even said as much at one point. Um, but luckily it, it all came around. And yeah, it worked out. It I mean, that was part so, of the yeah. education anyway. You yeah. just, you just decided that the formal part of it was taking the fun out of it. So, yep. but you thought it's still a good idea to get a liberal arts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have a degree. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I, I, and I was in it long enough to, 
to get a minor out of it. So that was good. So listen to that, kids. That's that's how you do it. You don't just quit school <laughs> altogether. Right. You can still get your liberal arts degree <laughs> and play in your bands. Yep. Yeah. So who? What made you want to do scores back then? Was it movies or or TV? It was or, movies. It was. Yeah, and yeah, who yeah. were the guys? Like John Williams? Yeah, it thing? was pretty like typical like. Uh, and, uh, uh, Badalamente who did the Twin Peaks stuff mm-hmm. and John Williams and um, Danny Elfman who had just sort of started like yeah. his movie well no I guess he'd been, Burton, he'd been doing he was, it for yeah, yeah. he'd been doing it for a little while um, yeah I just thought it was really cool and um, I had I didn't ever I guess I didn't really start writing cinematic sounding music until Denali started um, but I don't know I, there must have been something I, along the way i have a horrible memory by the way um there must have been something along the way where i was like oh man music picture really cool that's mm-hmm. awesome you know just like something ended up like watching tv while listening this to doesn't have else. anything to do with music videos uh well no i mean <laughs> yeah those that is a that is a proper marriage of the, the music and the picture um no it was it was like it was something about hearing my own it must have been hearing a band that i was in put to picture yeah. and, and I was like whoa dude like just you know multiplied the awesomeness of, of of everything in my brain but um but yeah and and I didn't know how to be a a movie scorer you know and like how to, how to become a composer I'm gonna I will get my vocabulary back during the course of this interview oh, I promise fine. um but um something about it uh I so I did that and then um and then it sucked, and then it just went away. Like I, I was just like I didn't think about it at all anymore um, until um, Denali ended, and we were all just sort of. Uh, I had actually I moved to New York for a few years um, to work for record labels because everything here was had sort of dried up at the time. Like Punchline was gone. Right. I had tried every other um, a job, basically. I you know it's DJ on RIR, and I booked shows and and. Uh, gave guitar lessons and and all sorts of stuff and and there was just no there was no, and man it was helping to manage sound of music and there was no um man this is really a long tangent it's no a long go ahead story. keep going well no, just the, it sort of it ties you're into not how allowed everything. to sum all of this up because I need to talk to you about the specific <laughs> yeah 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 because I'm so curious about like the the idea of composing a score versus I mean you're a rock musician right and like when you're playing in bands you're like I play the guitar somebody else is worrying about the bass and somebody yeah. else is worrying about the drums and mm-hmm. we just bring our things together mm-hmm. and and in my experience of doing that, it's really like, uh, let me see what you're playing. Yeah. And then everybody's in a really, really basic format mm-hmm. of uh, four, four time. And like, <laughs> are we all in the same key? And <laughs> right, like, are play- we all in tune? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the idea of writing, and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, Rock and roll is like it's a really formulaic thing, mm-hmm. and even getting into indie and pl- screwing around with it a little right. bit and stuff like that, it's still really basic music. Right. Yeah. And the idea of writing a score, um, you're you're thinking about I got a clavi- clavier that yeah. I want to come in <laughs> right, here, right, 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 um, and I need to write that for somebody because this is not one of these punk rock rock musicians right. who's going to walk in the room and go, okay, yeah, I get what you're going for. Yeah, 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 ding, you ding, gotta, ding. yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to write all of these. So did mm-hmm. you already have that – you had some idea of that skill or uh, – A little bit, yeah. I went to um, – in in high school, I went to uh, the governor's school for the arts in, in Virginia Beach, which is just like the magnet school here. Uh-huh. It just was arts-based instead of, uh, you know, more of like traditional vocation. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, there was a little bit of, you know, there, well, there was a lot of music theory and aural skills, like the AUR. Mm-hmm. Aural sound skills. Aural right. skills. Right. Um, sight reading, things like that. And I had, I had played, I played trombone from sixth grade, fifth grade or something. So I had been reading music and, mm-hmm. and so, and I'd played in all sorts of, you know, bands like jazz band and, and concert band and then had gone to like regional bands and things like that. And so I had a, pretty good idea of how things worked together yeah um but i had never composed anything um i had a couple of assignments in college where it was like an aria or something Mm -hmm. just like four part like you know four flutes or four you know two flutes and a clarinet and i I think i got a d on it it was it was it was really i was not good at that (laughs) so um but when doing what i do now is not like that it's 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 almost like teaching yourself as if you were five members of a band it's like mm-hmm. um because now i i don't write anything out i just play it and, right. I, and i play everything except for drums and you know anything really you could do that because you're the only person yeah, who's a musician. yeah, yeah. but if you were writing like a classical yeah I mean, a classic yeah. that's score, beyond my ability you got people on a sound stage yeah, and it's yeah. like yeah <laughs> that's that is far beyond my abilities i could write it out i could create the song within pro tools and and create the midi and then you can literally hit a button and that will print out a score for you mm-hmm. and i've done that for mambo bob and, and for a couple you know having horn session guys come in um i can actually print out sheet music for them and um and that's that is actually that actually makes me feel a little bit legit sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's what those <laughs> but, tools are there for. Yeah, maybe. yeah. But that's the only way I can do. It. I don't I don't walk around hearing, you know, the flutes against the basses against the mm-hmm. timpanis and with the clout, you know, with the with the cowbell and the wood blocks and everything like that. Like I we listen to NPR in the house all day long, and I still like it. Never has clicked. Like oh oh oh, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. always. The way that I do it is is very linear. Um, it's it's either a melody or a chord progression, and then I build it from there. And if if it needs to deviate, then I I deviate it as I go. It's mm-hmm. it's never sort of a well. I've never looked up. into the theory of it, but I, I imagine it's really is a completely different language uh, language, like so called classical music, mm-hmm. which isn't classical is one era there's right. baroque there's romantic mm-hmm. there's all of this stuff and mm-hmm. everybody just calls it all classical yeah but, yeah yeah but the yeah. but the, the instrumentation like what we would say instance of the guitar being a lead instrument mm-hmm. you're, you're building a chord out of three strings mm-hmm. on one instrument mm-hmm. but like maybe an orchestra it, they're getting it out of the violin yeah, the cello yeah, yeah, and yeah. the bass yeah. and so the bass is playing one part of it right. the root and you know all of that. So it's a lot more people to do the job yeah. of one instrument. And, and it's too, you know, in, in orchestral scoring and, and, and movie scoring, I think that a lot of those, like all of those elements receive equal attention. Mm-hmm. You know, the not just the notes and the chords themselves, but also the phrasing and the, the velocity. Well, I, velocity because I'm thinking of MIDI, but, mm-hmm. you know, the different volumes for the different sections and how people are supposed to, to express these. Yeah. To, right. Yeah. And with, with commercials, you can sort of steamroll all those things mm-hmm. and just be like, I hear strings and that's all that they care about. Um, right. Whereas you know, if I was actually trying to write something that was going to be performed, there would be so many other facets that mm-hmm. I'd have to think about that I've never considered. It would be really cool to consider those things, but 
um, because I work on such fast timelines, I never have time to, it's like, it's like, uh, it's all, it's all comparative levels. It's yeah. like the strings need to be louder or the strings need to be quieter. It's never like the cello within the strings needs to be a little bit more staccato. You know, it's like things like so that. So what, what got you into like, is guitar your main instrument mm-hmm. and what yeah. got you into playing guitar? Like, was that part of, you went from trombone to guitar? Yeah. You... Um, I was, um, Let's see. I was a skater dude in junior high school, like most kids my age. And uh, one of the guys that I skated with played guitar. And, you know, when when it was raining or when it was cold or when it got dark, we would go back to his place. And um, he had a, just like a guitar and an amp up in his attic. And, you know, we would just listen to metal records and he would play guitar. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And what were know? the records? Uh, stuff like, well, at that point, it was Master Puppets and uh, early Iron Maiden stuff, early Dio and Black Sabbath and things like that. We, you know, He would teach me the the most basic of most basic things, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that I could play on the guitar. And um, he's actually, uh, his, his name's Carter, and um, he, yeah, he, he, he pretty much taught me and we were also in like our first band together and stuff like that but what yeah. was that called it was called night stalker night stalker yeah a good name. yeah, yeah. Uh, was it bait was it the gavin mcleod show where he hunts monsters or, <laughs> i, I <laughs> or mean if we had the wherewithal to make a video it probably would be it would be a, a treasure that i yeah. would still hold dear to this day <laughs> um it, it was it was kind of neo rock in that it was two guitarists and a drummer we didn't we didn't have any need for a bassist <laughs> actually we couldn't find a bassist but you know <laughs> <laughs> but you know poly chill um so yeah it was uh you know it was just two just two guys and a drum and we we played a couple shows i think like when my parents got divorced and i was in eighth grade and i think in order to you know just to keep spirits high my dad was like oh you could have a have, have a party at the house mm-hmm. sometime you know some saturday and your band can play and you know it was one of these things that sort of started off well-meaning but just devolved into like food fights and uh-huh. cookies in the woods <laughs> and just like people just i mean nobody was wasted obviously but it was just like whatever the junior high version of mayhem Mm-hmm. was that's what it was like all the cool little hors d'oeuvres that they thought were going to be really awesome were all just on the ground or being used <laughs> as weapons like mini hot dogs just like in people's noses Did you know? parents watch teenage movies like <laughs> no, <that>? no no <laughs> they had no realize? idea what they had gotten themselves into <laughs> so yeah it was um but yeah so we would because of their charity we got to play our first show um but yeah and and then from there um I mean, I think, you know, we listened to like heavy metal because that's what everybody listened to at that point. And then, or that's what most skater guys were listening to at that point. And that's what everybody was sort of pointing you towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really, um, I mean, I, I knew about punk rock at that point. Um, you know, we would listen to Bad Brains and Minor Threat and things like that. But it wasn't until college, really, that I made any sort of distinction and sort of fell into anyone seeing because. At the beach, at least, you know, the same guys who listened to Fugazi also listened to the Grateful Dead. Like, yeah. it, there was no, there were no niche, there were no, like, clicks in that regard. So, um, but yeah, it, it was, it, it, so that, that really, it was just really fun. That, to go back to your initial question, what made me want to play guitar, um, and the interest from, you know, seeing my friend Carter play was what made me want to play. But then, um, the day that I got my first guitar, which my was my 14th birthday, um, in 1988 um coincidentally there was a school it was a snow day and um i was playing with a different group of friends and um 
my, my friend Rich had a drum set and he was like, Hey, come over. We'll just jam. And, and I was like, I, I knew two songs. I was like, sure. I'll, if we can jam these two songs that I know. And he had drums. And then another friend came over who, who had a guitar named Trent and we played the first chords of Sunday, bloody Sunday, basically for an hour like that. Cause that's all we knew. But yeah. as soon as like, I played the first part and then the drums came in and then Trent came in on the guitar. Like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it sounded like. I was like, holy shit. No, I'm sorry. Holy crap. You can yeah. cuss what you want, man. I open these shows with namaste, motherfucker. So, you know, go for well, it. Yeah. Let it rip. But, um, yeah, we were uh, when that when that that synchronicity that happened with everybody playing together. It wasn't like when I was in band or anything like, like that. Just for some reason, didn't register as being the same thing. But like the three guys in the room making a song, like, yeah. making, it was like that was it. Like that was that was literally it. And as as cheesy as it sounds, like that was that was the moment where everything clicked. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I like gave up school and ran away from home to to be a rock star or anything but like but it was just like everything was focused on that mm-hmm. from then on mm-hmm. pretty much and um and i you know went through a couple of bouts of being on restriction for grades or for bad behavior or whatever and my guitar would go away and i would always be really really bummed and then you know i just never have put it down since then so um, so after so, night stalker uh, <laughs> what, and this is like you're 14 so uh what what were the what was the band uh history you can Bringing us up to Denali. I mean, to Lazy Cane, actually. Right, right, right. right. So, let's see. After Night Stalker, there was State of Mind. And then after State of Mind, there was Outside In, but In was spelled with two N's, which made it crafty, Mm -hmm. um, but also kind of sound like a hotel. Um, And then there was... Somewhere in there, there was storm season. Um, you know, all these things living at the beach, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was only hurricanes were, you know, a big deal. Um, <laughs> um, and then when I got to school, when I got to VCU, um, I was, I just was in school and I was like, I didn't have a band or anything. Um, and this guy named Aaron who uh, lived in the, lived either on my floor or on the next guy's floor above me in Johnson Hall mm-hmm. at VCU. Um, I guess heard me playing guitar in my room at one point and he came down and I thought he was going to be like, hey man, that sounded pretty cool. He was just like, hey dude, can I borrow your amps so that my band can practice? And I was like, <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like totally, you know, humbled once again. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and it was like my precious amp. And I was like, do you mind if I like come with you? Like, do you mind if I hang out at your practice? He's like, oh yeah, no, totally cool. And so I did. And, and it was this band called Grip, which is a hardcore band at the time. And, and so, I, and I was like, this is pretty cool. I'd never actually heard hardcore or anything like that. It was just like, it sounded like better metal to mm-hmm. me at the time. It was like a fusion of metal and other stuff that I was really into. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, this is really cool!" And you know, just through the through the interactions over the, uh, the couple of weeks, it was like they needed a guitarist, and I was like, "What if I tried to play a guitar for your man?" And it worked out, and so I did. I did that, and that sort of like opened a bunch of doors to meet a bunch of friends and other musicians and stuff like that, because that that scene was already pretty well established in mm-hmm. Richmond, like you know, from 
from well, Guar on down, like all the iterations of metal and hardcore that just sort of like yeah. intermingled. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met tons of people and, and I got to go on tour with this band called Four Walls Falling, which oh, yeah. was a pretty seminal hardcore band from here and also on the East Coast. Um, and uh, they were going to Europe in uh, 95 and the, one of the guitarists couldn't go and I was living with the drummer at the time and he was like, hey, you want to play guitar? Was, I was like, Kenny yeah. Wagner, the drummer, not, at one point at he one was. At one point, yeah. Not then. Yeah, at that point it was a guy named Jared Sersick mm-hmm. and um we uh and yeah, Bo who was uh Bo and Taylor, the two Steel brothers who were the the founders. Um Bo couldn't go. He was staying behind actually to book their their US tour and so I got to go as a hired gun. Um and that was just amazing. Um and again just met more people through there. Um and then uh and at around that same time I was doing Lazy Kane, which was just sort of like a knockoff of a knockoff of every Discord band that was mm-hmm. in existence. But um but it was really fun. It started off as like this weird sort of funk metal fusion thing that mm-hmm. nobody liked. Um and then uh became this D C fusion thing that some people liked and we got to a point where we actually had a label and had and got to go on tour with cool bands and stuff but um it never really became the label you are uh we started out on a label called big wheel recreation um which was from boston and then um it wasn't a huge deal but it had connections to a lot of people and um and then we ended up on a bit on a label called doghouse which was um like get the get up kids started there and and Mm -hmm. some other somewhat hip uh, late nineties bands. Um, and then, uh, then when lazy King broke up, I played really shortly in a band called river city high, which mm-hmm. is James Menifee and Mark yeah. Avery from inquisition and James from fun size. I didn't know you were in that band. Uh, it was such a short period of time. Um, and it was really super fun. It, it was almost like a, like a, like a vacation because it, all the, all the songs had already been written. Whereas I had been the, the, the front person, sort of in a, in a manner of speak I was the singer for <laughs> Lazy Game I wrote probably half of the songs if not more um, so it was nice to just sort of plug in and be like alright cool everything's yeah. like good to go um, but they were they were gone all the time they were total weekend warriors and and I was like I'd just gotten I was bummed that Lazy Game had broken up and blah 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 and, um, and so I was just like I, I can't do this as much as you guys are doing it right now um, and I met Mara around that time from Mara Davis from mm-hmm. Denali and um, she had played some demos for me, and I thought they were amazing. And she was like, well, we're putting together this band with my brother, Keely, and this guy, Jonathan, who all of whom I'd known from previous bands. Um, and uh, But I don't want to be the only guitarist. And I was like, I would love to play guitar. And so that's how it started. Well, um, let me – I want to back up. Like my, I didn't know that so much of your your pedigree was like – Hardcore, and then mm-hmm. what hardcore sort of has evolved into because mm-hmm. of Fugazi's leadership, mm-hmm. I guess. And uh, I, I, coming back from New York and having been like working in Matador, mm-hmm. I saw you as being sort of a that, you know, being like connected to the pavements mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Was that an influence on you? Was that anything you were thinking of? Or not really? You know? No, I, I mean, I always liked that. So I was, I was probably. I mean, I know that there are other people out there like me, but I was definitely a hardcore kid who listened to no hardcore. Like mm-hmm. the only music that I paid attention to was the music that the bands I was in played. Like I, other than that, I was listening to other like indie stuff, like, mm-hmm. you know, pavement being one of them. But, um, but I wasn't a huge person in, 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 in I wasn't a super fan of those bands. Um, I, I listened to, 
I mean, anything that had anything to do with the cure or like stone roses, a lot of the British stuff, um, that was definitely my bloody Valentine. Yeah. Uh Uh, And, um, but it was, it was definitely anything that was sort of post and, and then mainly got into all of the Chicago bands like Rachel's and, uh, and, uh, tortoise and, and anything that was on quarter stick or thrill jockey. jockey. Yeah. Yeah, Like C and cake and uh, gastrodel soul and all that and low and, um, like in a smog and all that kind of stuff. Like I really loved that stuff too. Um, so yeah. And, and, and so there was, there was always a, a texture to what you were doing. Yeah. That, that yeah. was more expansive than like mm-hmm. the angular, like yeah. edgy core, like power chord stuff. There yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, I mean, there was always like, I always admired, um, I, you know, at first I think when I was in school, I admired technique and music and, and probably earlier than that too, you know, definitely in high school. And then I, I finally came around to admiring heart instead mm-hmm. of, you know, heart over, over Instead skill. Balls yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I still really loved a lot of heavy bands. Like I loved early clutch stuff. I loved helmet. I loved quicksand. I loved refused. Um, I didn't really go super heavy like Pantera or anything like mm-hmm. that, like that. The, the metal thing sort of ended in junior high school. Um, but I still loved stuff that was like, like bark market was mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite bands at that time. Um, but it was there. It was always you tempered like the by tone it. and the textures of those kinds yeah. of guitars, but not the rest of the. Uh, right. I didn't like the the jocularness. Of, right. Like I didn't want any of that stuff that went along with it. The tough guy shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Or, or Lester yeah. Banks called the muscle heads. Yeah. <laughs> why we ended up with flex your head later on is because he called all of them muscle heads. But uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about because I like that those sounds out of a guitar, mm-hmm. and I like being I like it coming through the speakers at yeah. me like that. But I don't really like to adopt all the rest of that metal shit. Yeah. And I think that's where, like, what, even the divergence of what people, you know, ultimately meaninglessly mm-hmm. called indie mm-hmm. is it's like it's people that are have a, a few more dimensions that they want to bring to music. Yeah. And it's yeah. not a higher or lower thing. It's just kind of like it's where, you know, and I've talked about this a lot in this podcast is the assumption people have about punk rock is that it's this lowbrow thing mm-hmm. and it's very simple lowbrow music. Mm-hmm. And that is one facet of it. Mm-hmm. But it was also music played by people with big ideas right. and minimal skill. Uh, it's musical yeah, skill. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, and, for lack of a better word, intellectuals, but people, <laughs> really, you know, really wanted to get wanted to get at a bigger feeling right. than just testosterone That's or just. Totally true, you know, yeah. Yeah, but didn't absolutely. have all of the training to do it. Right. So what right. made it punk was that they just had the kind of the balls to pick up some instruments and go for it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. like when I was at Matador, they would call. I, one time, one of the guys at the label came to the back and he was like, "Hey, yeah, give me a pile of good punk rock records from back here to give to the guys from Guitar Wolf." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "I don't see any punk rock records <laughs> back here. You mean right. guided by voices?" Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't really see the connection. Right. You know, right at that right, time, yeah. and it. And I, hence, somebody gave me a book for Christmas to educate me because <laughs> they could tell I was ignorant. <laughs> but that's interesting. So, like, um, Denali, I think of as getting into um, a more atmospheric thing. And then mm-hmm. after uh, – what was the band after that? Was- oh, uh, Hex Orcast, the thing that with Ed. The, the, the only thing I did, I've done since Denali was uh, was this sort of mathy, noisy thing. Okay, so Denali is is the it's I went to see you guys a couple of times and I thought of my bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. I thought of 
a like band Portishead, mm-hmm. almost like that kind of atmosphere mm-hmm. and texture to it. Yeah. What were the? What was everybody? You know, was what was conscious that everybody was trying to bring into that, or or was there any of that? Is it just the, the way influences come through? Just because it's what you listen to. Yeah, I, I mean, we all definitely listened to that band and those bands, um, and I think you know we were all uh, we were we were into a lot of the bands that were out at that time. You know, Keely and, and Jonathan and Mara especially were very up on, um, not like super up on current bands, but they tended to take I think more influence of on bands that were actually out, like mm-hmm. as we were right. like, bands like Muse, the ones I'm, I'm like, mentioning were like at that point like seven years old or yeah yeah but like i mean they were they were into bands like muse and uh interpol and Uh, obviously radiohead and um and and i i liked those bands i was never really a big muse fan but um i i loved interpol at the time and um i always liked porous head and i i i liked radiohead up until a point and then sort of i guess grew out of them or something um and and i i tended to pull from things just a little bit older but it it all made sense together Mm -hmm. i mean i i have always loved Brian Eno and I've loved, uh, like any sort of, uh, you know, I, at the same time that I was playing in hardcore bands, I was listening to Avex twin and square pusher and, uh, you know, Autechre and bands like that. Um, and so I, I liked, I wanted to bring a lot of those things. And then especially because Denali was so cinematic, it was fun to bring sort of those sweeping, you know, atmospheric mm-hmm. sort of tones to the band. And I remember like that. that was there a, a light show involved with that band did yeah. you actually have your own we tried yeah yeah we had we had a very low low budget light show that worked well in like coffee shops and small shows and stuff like that um and yeah we we definitely tried to set a mood with that band and mm-hmm. and with with the pictures and with the album artwork and um even with the website we tried to sort of you know create an accompanying mood that that went along with the music um just because it seemed like it deserved that attention. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, it didn't, it's not that I didn't think that the music could stand on its own or that any of us had that doubt, but it was just, it was fun. It's always been your thing. Yeah. It's the marriage. Of, yeah, right. it's, it's, it yeah. gets you on more, more sensory levels yeah, than yeah. just the aural. Yeah. And we had always just been dudes in like sweaty bands, sweaty right. rock bands, hadn't, you know, driving around vans. It was Dressed actually, black yeah, it was there, fun yeah. to really like be able to play with all those things mm-hmm. with some sort of justification. Like this music deserves this attention and, and it's fun to create an image for this because because it's it doesn't feel forced it's like it's like what goes along with this sure so, um but yeah i've always had that same relationship with music and i've really always enjoyed matching whether it's something as simple as an oscilloscope up on the you know <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Uh, one of those oil psychedelic right, right, right. oil lamps or whatever yeah. or, or a good light show even. yeah yeah i mean but and then i love music videos and and stuff like that how do you um how do you feel now that like I mean so you did this other band what was what was this, the band oh, after Denali he- Hexarcast uh-huh. yeah yeah uh, and that was just Jonathan and Keely and I from Denali and then it was uh, what was the other band those guys were from Engine Down Engine Down yeah, right. yeah, yeah. and that got relatively they got bigish didn't mm-hmm. they yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely um, yeah so it was the the two of them and then it was Ed Trask uh, who everybody knows um, universally mm-hmm. known um, and then. Uh, our friend Dave Grant, who was in a band called, uh, called Action Patrol back uh-huh. in the like late '90s, early thousands, um, again like a punk thing, like punk, I punk, punk, that punk. Name. Yeah. Um, 
and it was really fun. It was just sort of a cathartic reason to get together and play mid nineties, noisy math rock stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and we didn't, we, we did, we, we played for about a year or so and just sporadically whenever we had a chance and then life just got in the way again. Yeah. And so we had, and we didn't ever like break up or consciously go on a hiatus. It's just like, I, you know, if it works out again someday, we'll do it. So, but yeah. So, so like, and I want to preface this next question by saying that like, I see the progression like into like, I'm, I'm interested in advertising and marketing mm-hmm. and the communication necessary around that. And right. like at one point when I was more juvenile, I was like, you know, fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that's selling out or whatever. But the thing is, is that we do live in a capitalist society and that doesn't, is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. are goods and services that we're like, right. you know, people want to know about it and you want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. so let's, why not like do a good job of right, communicating right, right. that this thing is available if right. you're looking for it. Mm-hmm. So what is it, what was the progression like for you having been, you know, one of those romantic musicians that like the first time you like plugged in with a bunch of guys and mm-hmm. you were just, you know, you felt that feeling yeah. to turning it into a, a craft and a profession that is like, you know um, how you feed your family i guess i guess it wasn't as difficult because being on tour eventually felt like a job anyway and yeah. and i came to just dread like playing every night like i just i just didn't want to like set all my crap up and it, it just wasn't i don't know if being paid more money would have helped it maybe it, it probably would have from what um, those guys taught say i don't think it, it's about the money yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um so it, it, it was it it had already sort of become it, it, that part of it had already become not as magical or romantic Tedious, as, as, even, as it once been, um, and then going from that to the managerial side at Sound of Music, and then going from that to the label side at a, a major label. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what label was that? Uh, it was at first at RCA, and then yeah. at, and then at Atlantic, and um, all you saw was the business side. Yeah. So I guess. Over the course of those four four years, um, I had just I had lost the connection with that initial feeling, which yeah. is a shame. It's definitely um, so coming back and doing. I I saw it as just finally being able to um, play music again and actually make a living off mm-hmm. of it and not have to worry about it. Um, there are definitely times where we've done, or I, I say we just from black iris but um i've definitely times when i have done music for products that i don't stand behind or that i don't believe in you know like and and that has been kind of a bummer um but at the same time it's like well they just sort of take the good with the bad and, mm-hmm. and go from there and there's there's not any really healthy or you know pc way of justifying it so it's just kind of like well this is my job now and, and yeah and we're too old for that bullshit yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> i mean like to me the magic uh of being of maturity is is recognizing that you enforced those you you created yeah. those yeah, yeah in the first place and they right. served a purpose that's then, true yeah, and yeah. they're not relevant yeah to your life now and like whether or not you are free or selling out or any of that mm-hmm. th- that bullshit mm-hmm. that has to do with how you experience what you're doing and how you operate right. and yeah. you know I imagine you probably get some of that feeling out of actually having this family in this house yeah and all that stuff <laughs> yeah yeah, that yeah you used to get from being in a band you're in that band now, right, right 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 yeah I'm in the family band <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's well and it's you know as 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 you get older and um, 
you know, girlfriends turn into wives, there's a brain shift. And yeah. when, when apartments turn into houses, there's a brain shift. Yeah. And when a kid comes along, there's a brain shift. Yeah. And so all of those things together sort of take precedence over whatever, like you're saying, whatever reality you created or whatever ethos you created for yourself when you were younger. And it's like, that's really cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah. that was adorable when sure. you, when you, when you said, fuck the police and, you mm-hmm. know, you wrote, you know, anarchy signs all over the place. Right. But now you have a mortgage, and now yeah. you have a. I'd wife like the and, police to come to my house yeah. if someone yeah, was trying exactly. to break into it. I know, yeah. and I would not like anarchy because that would mean these assholes would come in my house yeah, and take yeah, my yeah. shit. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of that is growing up and and just realizing what what those things actually mean. Yeah, and, and um, getting out of the the fantasy world. Not that there are not many aspects of that that we still sort of. Um, that still sort of mingle into your daily lives in terms of how you treat the planet and how you, you know, treat each other, mm-hmm. um, and how you do business. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has, has played into how, how we all did business with each other. It's just because I felt like there was a lot more, you know, there was much more fairness and trust and, and like, who are you talking about now? Is that the, Oh, you know, in terms of when black Iris started, yeah. because it was like guys, were you who a had founding person i was there? not but i was like the fifth person hired um, what is but, that guy's name that, that with the hat the he wears a cap a lot of times you see him i forget <laughs> i know him and i can't remember his name that works there yeah, yeah, yeah. Black glasses um dates caitlin oh uh, justin justin yes. yeah, mm-hmm. i can never remember that guy's name so yeah, is yeah. he a founding guy? he is yeah, yes okay. yeah there were three guys there were or, and i'm sorry there were four guys there was justin uh a guy named dave jackson a guy named mm-hmm. darren hollowell and a guy named uh, marshall coaston and they were the four uh, okay a founding guys and I came along. Marshall left the company just cause he wasn't, he, he did actually have differences with, or he, he did have issues with writing music for hire and for, you know, specific brands. Right. Like he, he very much still, and, and with him, it's not sort of like a delusional romanticism. Like sure. it is just part of the fibers of his being. Well, that ethos um, thing that we're talking about, I mean, if it, or you, you brought it up that it has a place, mm-hmm. but it can't be this absurd, reactionary, like blanket thing. Mm-hmm. You've got to really be mindful of mm-hmm. what are you talking about, like right. you know, like I mean, the way I see it now is that, like like I said before about capitalism. I mean, we all live in that. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. Mm-hmm. What's wrong is the way people engage in it with no conscience or right. no consideration, yeah, yeah, yeah. no awareness of the impact upon the places where they're doing the business. Right, right. So if you can find people to work with that are mindful of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you can get that same feeling that you're doing something punk rock because right. you are rebelling against that overwhelming thing where people are just like, I'll cut costs however I fucking have to cut <laughs> yeah, costs. Yeah, yeah. You know, fuck yeah, those yeah, people. Yeah. Fuck that water over there. <laughs> I need to get, you fuck know. Fuck the environment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. the ground. Fuck, you know. Well, that's, I mean, that's, and I think, you know, that was what Black Iris felt like when it started. It was it was like a bunch of guys from punk rock bands, literally. Like uh, Dave and Darren were in a band called Four Hundred Years that was just mm-hmm. like you know sleep on the floor, tour in a van. Like we, and we were all we were all those guys, and it felt like we were kind of sneaking into the castle, like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. of the, like the advertising yeah. and and Trojan horse, yeah, and and making off with the gold and um and. You know, but we were all people who recycled and people yeah. who did smart things, and, right. and so it felt like you know, even though the industry was is well, it's always been a crazy, it's characterized crazy, by yeah. a bunch of bullshit and falsification, yeah. and it felt yeah. like we were sort of putting some of it to good use, you know. Yeah. But um, but they, at the end of the day, we are still people who are writing music for commercials, so mm-hmm. it's like you know, and now and even now that I have a choice that I'm on my own. 
this it's still what I do and it's the reason being is that it is the one thing that I'm really good at yeah. and so that's what I'm going to do and you got to I mean you have you need have this is what's, now yeah, yeah this is what's paying the bills and there's exactly there there really isn't any disconnect between the like the development of the philosophy is just fine tuning it right you know yeah, and making yeah. it effective i mean that mm-hmm. uh, many years ago i interviewed josh homie and he said you know people are always trying to lay the punk rock guilt on me <laughs> and like i'm far more effective on the inside than i was <laughs> out there throwing tomatoes at the right. walls <laughs> right, yeah, you know? yeah, it's true it's totally true nobody yeah. takes you seriously yeah, yeah you know yeah. if you're out there and you're you're in you're impotent, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but if you if you get in there and work within a system that exists and show respect for that, right, right. and then and then just do your little part of representing that way, that right. is way more yeah. powerful as I it's, see it these it's days. True. You know, it's totally true. I, it's it's funny. I mean, that's a that's a it is a yeah. I don't have. We're, word we're for in it. agreement yeah. with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That is a thing we both agree to. What else? Um, uh, what do you What are you listening to these days? What do you dig yourself like when it's not? Uh, um, a lot of hip hop. Like, yeah, I listen to a lot of hip hop. Um, I believe I saw that you posted a favorable comment. About <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ka- yeah. Is it Kanye I, I like West? The, yeah, the yeah. new Kanye West record. I, I like it a lot. Actually, I feel like it's. Um, and I'm not a hip hop historian um, mm-hmm. or anything. I am. I, so go ahead. Good. Good. You can good. Ask good. Me um, the beats and the rappings that are on this album that droppeth mm-hmm. um, um are, i think are great. don't feel self-conscious as a yeah. caucasian talking yeah, yeah, about this, yeah. Exactly. rick know. rubin produced this record so it's got <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. got a pedigree to i mean he was producer yeah, yeah. of some of the earliest shit yeah right, yeah you know, um so. no it's all right. i yanked my shoe untied here I'm gonna i haven't that. heard it yet i tried to give it a a, a listen on uh like spotify or mm-hmm. something and i i'm just i've got a preconceived notion about that guy because mm-hmm. of the way he's been behaving mm-hmm since yeah. uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy mm-hmm. and like I watch that and I say okay he needs to grow up so I'm not interested in what he has to say <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. running up on I mean and that was like if I were his age I'd be doing the same thing in that right. role like this now right. he's thinking okay I'm at the Grammys I'm gonna bust up on the stage and yank a statue <laughs> right. out of Taylor Swift's yeah. hand was it Taylor Swift? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but I mean, perhaps you can help me open my mind. To no, this no, 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 no. I, I can't actually. I, I, I sort of, <laughs> I sort of blissfully ignore the things that he has to say. Yeah. And it's more about the music. You like the way the it sounds. Interplay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I like the sounds. I, I and I think that's honestly what it, like all the 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 bragging and the dissing and the disrespect and the wait, that's the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just the whatever, all that stuff sort of flies away, and I and I pay attention to the. I guess I hear more the tone of his voice and the rhythmic quality of what he's, you know, how he's strung things together. How he's together. using his voice yeah. as opposed to the content. Um, and then the music, definitely. Um, you know, there's just some some great textures on this record. And um, I don't know, there's something after... I, I'm a fairly easy audience, I feel like. After three or four songs, if they're all solid, I'm like, ah, this is great. But it turns yeah. out that the whole record is great. Yeah. Um, but I've done that recently with a couple other things. I think that I, I really loved the... Um, the first couple times I heard the Heartless Bastards Arrow record, um, I was really, I was like, oh yeah. Or the first few songs, I was like, dude, this is fucking great stuff. Um, and then, and funny enough, I'd actually uh, I bought it on vinyl, and then I downloaded it so I could burn it CD to listen to it in my car because my truck doesn't have a MP3 thing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and for whatever reason it had gotten out of, it had become unsequenced so the songs were all out of order and i was like yeah, this is really good and then when i realized what was going on because there were a couple like acoustic versions of songs that were like back to back with the uh-huh. electric version i was like oh, this is sorted by song name or something like right. that so i went back and burned it in the proper order and i didn't like it as much huh. <laughs> I was like, you might not have made it past the third song i know it's true that. and and i feel like the, i don't know there was something jarring about the way it was missequenced that i really liked because it would be this sort of ballad and then this crushing kind of like zelda or you know sorolta is a lot in a like turkish psych kind of mm-hmm. like jam and i was like oh yeah that's fucking awesome and then it would go back to their sort of like you know battered heart western thing and then but it never like after that i was like yeah that's okay you know that was my i mean i like the story behind that band which i understand to be that there was just that woman who fronts the band mm-hmm. was just a waitress at a bar that where the rest of the band played, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, yeah, I don't she know just ended up it. on stage one time. But they always just sounded like, even though the story is completely different, they mm-hmm. sound like Come to Me, that band with Thalia. <laughs> uh-huh. you know, uh, I forget, Thalia Zadek, I think is her mm-hmm. name. and Which is not, I mean, they're a great band. Right. Um, but I just didn't, and like, it just all kind of was a wash for right, me when I right. listened to it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it, and it's like for the first couple of songs would be a great idea, but then it just, it seems like it's a, a formula. Like she right. doesn't have much of a range or isn't much yeah, of a singer. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, more of a sound. Like, yeah, she does. She has a great, she has great tonality and I, I like her melodies. I think yeah. she, she chooses a smart, a melody. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. There's, I feel like they have as a band, they have a lot of range, um, mm-hmm. But it's it's sort of like the same seesaw, like mm-hmm. from song to song. It's like you know, rocks, rock mellow, rock mellow, and it's yeah, the same yeah, kind yeah. of rock and the same kind of mellow yeah. almost. Um, whereas if it was more of like a four way seesaw, at least that would make for a more interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that way you have a lot of variety without getting too confused. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for and, and still you've got to uh, no matter how good the music is, I've noticed over and over again, you have to have the right in to it to listen to it properly mm-hmm. to give it. Yeah, I don't know because yeah, yeah. I can. I can objectively recognize that stuff is good that I'm listening to, right. but I don't feel it or care about it yeah. until it's connected to something, yeah. some yeah, experience yeah. or yeah. a mood. And for some reason, like, I mean, I, I like that new Queens of Stone Age record. Mm-hmm. I really do like it. I mean, I always like the stuff that guy mm-hmm. does, but I haven't really liked a whole record right. together because mm-hmm. sometimes they feel cobbled together. And there's mm-hmm. and, and that's partly be, the function of his philosophy of having a bunch of different contributors mm-hmm. and singers. Right. But the first record they did was very cohesive. Right. It yeah, all stuck definitely. together because yeah. it, it was mostly him. Mm-hmm. And this record feels like that. It sounds totally different. And there are a bunch of other people on it. But it nobody else is writing songs. It does, mm-hmm. And nobody else is singing mm-hmm. but him. And and I was driving. But I was still kind of like, I don't know if I still relate to this or not. I Whatever. And then one day I'm driving and all of these songs just opened up right. for me. Yeah, yeah. It's raining and sunny at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And now I've had that experience with that record. Yeah, exactly. But then a friend of mine gets in my car and it's playing in the background. He's like, this just sucks. It's like, this just cave rock. Like, I'm so tired of this guy with his like mainstream rock shit. And, like, I'm like, oh, Shut dude, that fuck. Yeah, yeah, I disagree. Yeah. And I used I to be that guy. Yeah. I hate hearing that shit now, man. I really hate it. <laughs> I, ha- I have a similar situation with my wife. It's like I usually, like I'll, and she has great musical taste, but there'll be a, there'll be a record that, 
that I'm really excited about. And just at this point, I know better than to play it for her while I'm in the, while I'm in her company. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just have to, because it's not that she's going to rip on it. She just won't have the same experience. It's not going to, and it's going to tank your relationship. And then then it just sours the record for me. I was like, ah, fuck. So I just usually, I just usually burn it and give it to her. It's like, Hey, Jay, did you ever listen to that? Blah, blah, blah record. And, you know, and sometimes she's, she does. And sometimes she's like, yeah. Susan is a former record store employee from Plan 9. So she's one of those people that's like... Yeah, she really is. Yeah, thumbs down. It's funny. It's funny that you say that because I've always been like, man, why does she have no middle ground on records Mm -hmm. ever? It's either it's either totally awesome or she just doesn't. She doesn't care. And I'm just like, that must be it. It really must be brainwashed by Plan Nine on Southside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But uh, I won't say brainwashed. That's just the culture of working. And like when I worked at Matador. Everyone that worked there had come from record stores mm-hmm. like Newberry Comics and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that. They'd either been record store employees or, or DJs, mm-hmm. uh, college radio DJs. So they were, were no middle ground, right. absurdly, like, <laughs> subjectively opinionated. Right. Like, come back there. I'm listening to a record. And they'd go, oh, my God. Are you seriously <laughs> listening to this? You know? And it was like, I mean, I, I felt like I was getting bullied. Like, somehow yeah, yeah. I was in the same situation as, like, uh, somebody getting sand kicked in their face, like, at the beach. Except yeah, it's yeah. nerds keep yeah, beating yeah, me yeah, up yeah, about wait, records. It's not supposed to go this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as band, as records that I really love, um, the uh, the national, like the last two national records, I've just have sort of. I, the High Violet I probably listened to for three years, you know, almost nonstop. It's oh, jeans get out of there. That's cute. Um, she can do that. <laughs> um, and uh, and then when the new record came out, um, it was funny because. Uh, this, and this is going to contradict what I just said, but Susan and I were on vacation in, in the Caribbean and when the new record came out and, uh, something just happened. Okay. There, you just the, got closer to your mic. So, then okay. It, it, um, and and we're just going to have to deal with that. There's, I'm less noticing all these levels of fidelity. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, it's like, cool. this is punk rock right here. <laughs> um, and and uh, trouble will find me came out while we were there, and I was like, oh my god, we gotta listen to this right now. And we had just come back inside from being outside, and we were just both laying on the bed on opposite sides of the bed, uh, not for not because we hated each other. It's just where we fell, and uh-huh. um, and so I downloaded it, and I was playing it on our little like Bose Bluetooth thing, mm-hmm. and. And with the windows open and the sun setting and everything, and we both like absorbed it at the same time. We were both like, "This is a great record," and yeah. and that was that was an awesome thing. And and I think a lot of that is just I think we would have more great records if we were still young and didn't have as many obligations. It's like you know trying to listen to the new Jay Z. There's just too much it, stuff coming yeah, at yeah, you yeah. now, and that's and true. That's the to me is the downside of all of this access that we have is that we just give it a couple of seconds listen and yeah, toss it and, i mean and you and i've both been record reviewers mm-hmm. and like when you've got a whole lot of access to that stuff and you're and somebody's expecting you to write about it or have an opinion you know you don't really get to have that experience yeah yeah and you know back in the day i mean they always talk about like there's the song of the summer and stuff that everybody has in common you mm-hmm. know and those rock i miss those rock records that everybody has in common yeah, like yeah. never mind you know right I don't care if that is high art. I love that everybody liked that. Yeah, record, yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. And yeah. I liked that everybody liked Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. For me, I was a metal kid, and I was glad to see the pretty girls at that show. You know? <laughs> right, Because right. I was going to be there, but what we used to seeing was a bunch of guys. Oh, yeah. yeah and suddenly, yeah. they're hot girls at the at the metal show yeah. or whatever. But, um, you know, you just – you can't produce that experience. So, yeah. like – there's just no way to make that happen yeah. for your, it, not only the the shared thing, but like 
you connecting with it when you connect with it. Right. But I don't think that we've lost access to that. I just think it's it's makes me treasure the ones that you know end up getting through to me yeah. at that time. And I listen to a lot more talk than I do music when yeah. I in my downtime. It's you know. yeah, it's hard to find all those moments. I mean, especially now being. I, I, you know, it's not that I don't want to listen to music when I'm not working, but I do listen to it. I'm playing music all day and listening back to music. Um, and then when I'm not, it's like I'm picking up, picking up my son and then putting him to bed. And then by the time we're done with that, Susan and I are trying to have some family time. And so, you know, my my experience listening to the new Jay Z record, for instance, has been ninety five percent with a child in the backseat. Uh-huh. So it's do you just like, like it? I do. I do. I, it's 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 good. It's not great, but it's good. And Archie, um, how old Archie is a year and a half of his first words going to be something that he's heard on a probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, he, there's no filter. Like Susan and I curse all the time and, and it, you know, there's a lot of hip hop in the car. Um, but there's also a lot of NPR, so hopefully he's listening to that and not listening to putting hopefully, it all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah maybe he's. I'm, I'm hoping he's taking more cues from like All Things Considered than he is from Kanye West. <laughs> are you are, as Are you going to put an instrument in his hand when he gets old enough to hold one? He's man. He's already. Gra- he really loves the drumsticks, but I think that's just because he can beat on everything. He plays sure. the piano with the drumsticks bam, bam. too. <laughs> Remember bam, bam. He's just always. Bam yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He. I mean, he knows the word for guitar, and he loves to come into my little studio upstairs and just like he does this sort of like kind of as if you were squishing a koosh ball. That's mm-hmm. the motion that his hand makes, but that's how he strums the guitar. And oh so, yeah. But he strums it vertically too, so his fingers kind of go between the strings. So it's it's very. Very fluttery, like a banjo, kind of, kind of a of butterfly thing. kisses oh. kind of thing. <laughs> but he gets really excited about it. So uh, yeah, who knows? Um, it, it's interesting. I'll be, I'll be curious to He's see. He's gonna be pissed if... when he finds out the Archies is already taken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's a, at least it's a cool band, though. And I mean, you know, there's a piano down here, and I don't know. I, we'll see. And I mean, Susan plays beautiful classical piano, so he oh, may yeah. be more mesmerized by that. I know everybody always forgets. I Me forget. too. Sometimes I've heard that before yeah. in the past. Um, well, man, hey, we're we've just really done a great job <laughs> awesome. of uh, like covering territory and staying with under the hour <laughs> thing, which awesome. is like hard to do. Um, right on. This is a, l- a lot of quality over quantity. Cool. And, awesome. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. out of your busy schedule. Thank you for asking everything. me. And uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Curtis. Bye. 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 Yeah, that was Cam Denunzio, a lovely fellow, enjoyed the chat, had a good time, making new friends, influencing people, lovely, 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 love it all the time. So uh, yeah, speaking of chats, I got uh, Herschel coming over here tomorrow morning and we're going to be talking about him and what he do and the Sound City RVA event is coming up. Oh, fuck, I don't remember when that is. Um, It's soon, and the Breeders are playing it. It's going to be down by the American Civil War History Museum by Browns Island. A bunch of bands. The Breeders and Elvez. It's a couple weeks. Um, Next week on the show, I have Kathleen Brady, host of Secretly Y'all, and I have Dave Brocky of Guar, who is going to be the next appearing exclusively. He's going to be the whole secretly y'all telling a story about a triple course across Russia to Stalingrad. I, I got a little preview of that story when I interviewed him and 
speaking of interviewing him, Kathleen Dave next week in advance of the Secretly All on August 12th. So you guys should go to that. It's for a good cause, charity and stuff. Also, later on down the road, August 17th, there's a barbecue. And that's happening down at Haddad's uh, at at the uh, White Trash Riviera Redneck Water Park. Trailer Park Water Park? That's what we said last time, isn't it? We agreed on that. Trailer Park Water Park. Haddad's. That's not nice. It's just a nice place. Anyway, Guar, COC, Corrosion Conformity, that is old school COC. Not that uh, Southern Metal stuff they used to do. Municipal Waste, Cannibal... Oh, what is it? I forget. God damn it, I can't get this shit straight. Loin Club, they're going to be there. Uh, some other bands. Don't, uh, you know, I'm just reminding you that it's happening. There's lots of other ways to find out accurate information about it. So, But Sound City RVA, that's coming up. Secretly All at Balasso. And The Barbecue. So, uh, yeah, check it out and stay tuned for those interviews. Peace.